what we looked at is actually the proportion of vaping versus smoking. A lot of people were, were dual users, and what we found is that the higher proportion of vaping, the healthier the outcomes. The smokers who took up vaping reported more exercise, more active social engagement, better physical health, and even higher socioeconomic status. Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Over the past few months, several new research studies have released showing surprisingly positive results regarding many of the most contentious issues around e-cigarettes. One of these studies is out of the University of Washington, and it indicates that adult smokers who shift to using e-cigarettes may have more chances to improve health and well-being. The study monitored changes in health and social functioning among adult smokers at age 30 and again 39. The study found approximately one-third of smokers shifted to vaping, some or all of the time. This group reported better physical health, increased exercise, and more social activity and engagement. Amazing. Joining us today to talk through this research and more is Dr. Marina Epstein and Dr. Rick Kosterman, both research scientists from the Social Development Research Group at the University of Washington. The SDRG is a recognized leader in the field of prevention research and for the past four decades has studied the causes of problems in childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. Doctors, thanks to you both for joining us today on RegWatch. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I'd like to start off with getting a bit of background from each of you. What brought you into tobacco control research and how did this team come together? Sure, yeah, thanks again for having us, Brent. Um, so I'm a prevention scientist with a broad interest in health behavior and have worked on a lot of studies looking at substance use and uh, other studies that include mental health, physical health, physical activity outcomes. So definitely kind of a generalist when it comes to the outcome. But much of my work has been on evaluating long-term effects of preventive interventions and specifically looking at the role of social development or trying to identify risk and protective factors across different environments, and really trying to understand better how to reduce risk and enhance protection in order to promote healthy outcomes. Um, so Marina actually took the lead on diving into this e-cigarette area and invited me to join her. And um, I'll just say, I'm so glad that she did. It's a fascinating area of research. Um, it's so interesting to study uh, a relatively new product like e-cigarettes, e and especially something that has this kind of double-edged potential where it might be harmful in some ways and might be helpful in other ways. Um, so in those ways, it's uh, just really great fertile ground for a researcher, a lot of unanswered questions, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, my background is similar to Rick's. Um, <clears throat> we're both trained as, uh, as psychologists, not clinical psychologists, but psychologists, and <clears throat> have, have been at SDRG for a long time and have become more generalist. We're a very diverse team here. Uh, we have epidemiologists and sociologists and social workers uh, working with us. And so the team of prevention, the field of prevention science is, is very diverse and very um, interdisciplinary. And that's, that's great because it's great to have multiple voices in the room. And so I've been, <clears throat> I've been doing uh, prevention work for, for a while now and mostly focused on 
cannabis use, um, and we jumped onto the research around cannabis legalization when that happened in 2012 in Washington State. And I've also been looking at other substance use and how the substances interact with each other, how family processes can contribute to either cessation or promotion of substance use. Um, and, and yeah, and looking for intervention targets. All of our work is in service of creating prevention programs for teenagers and, 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 and young kids and helping parents parent better so that we don't have epidemics of um, substance use crises and, and addictions. Well, let me ask you about that right off the bat, because I do think so many things are framed by it. Is the youth use of nicotine vapes issue? What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, what we've seen is this tremendous uptick in e-cigarette use um, among youth over the last, you know, decade or so since they came on the market, um, and that that is concerning. Um, nicotine is one of the most addictive substances in the world, and um, I think being addicted to anything is not necessarily a great thing for for a child or an adult. Um, so we are definitely watching that. A lot of studies have been showing that youth who uptake e-cigarettes go on to smoke uh, combustible cigarettes later. And, and I think that's the real problem with, um, with vaping is that it often leads to, trend, to, to, to this transition to combustible, which we want to avoid. And it's been going down, combustible use has been going down for decades now, and that's been very encouraging. Um, and so we'd hate to see that trend reversed. So, Dr. Kosman, let's go back to this study that we started off with here today. And that recent research, which was published in Drug and Alcohol Dependence, is making waves as it shows smokers who switch to e-cigarettes may adopt other healthy routines. In what ways can nicotine vapes lead to healthier outcomes? Yeah, so what we found in our data is that smokers in their 30s who took up vaping after e-cigarettes became available in about 2007 um, and what they reported, I'm just going to repeat what you read off earlier, Brent, but what we found is that um, the smokers who took up vaping reported more exercise, more active social engagement, better physical health, and even higher socioeconomic status. And it's important to, important to point out here that um, we actually looked at changes in these behaviors. So we were controlling for um, these measures prior to um, or before e-cigarettes were available. Um, and so what we found is that there were actually improvements in these measures and these outcomes associated with vaping. And what we think, um, and what we this is speculative, we didn't actually look at this in our data, but what we think is that one explanation for this is that because e-cigarettes have less stigma and less odor and less physical harm, they may actually increase opportunities for smokers to be more engaged in healthy activities, things like being in settings that um, might encourage exercise or interacting with others who are non-smokers, and that these things can in turn lead to greater social and economic opportunities. So we think that at least in these ways, looking at our data that e-cigs may have a positive role to play, but again, it's important to stress that we're talking about existing adult smokers who continue to use nicotine. What's interesting um, also in the write-up and from the study is that it seemed to me, though, that um, you don't actually have to quit smoking to receive these benefits. Is that not correct? 
Yes, that's right. So what we looked at in this paper, in fact, a lot of people were, were dual users. And what we looked at is actually the proportion of vaping versus smoking. And what we found is that the higher proportion of vaping, the healthier the outcomes. So it wasn't, wasn't just looking at quitting. And in fact, it was a relatively uh, small number of them who actually uh, quit uh, conventional or combustible cigarettes. One of the findings that was mentioned was this uh, increase, a uh, betterment in social functioning. What exactly does that entail? Yeah, so that was uh, a couple of measures that we looked at. One was uh, civic engagement. So it was really being involved in, in your community and community problem solving. And we asked three or four questions about that, the degree to which people are involved in their communities and community groups, volunteering, things like that, as well as um, what we call productive engagement or uh, just uh, the degree to which people were um, active in their work life or furthering their education um, and, and furthering kind of a, or, or that is continuing to be constructively engaged or involved in work or school. So let's talk a bit about the data. Um, where does, you know, where do these participants come from? Who are they? And are they a part of some kind of a longer study? Yeah, so um, these data come from the Seattle Social Development Project. Um, and this is one of many uh, longitudinal studies that we have part of, as part of our research group. It's actually the oldest study that we have. It was started in 1985 with about 800 participants who were, um, who were actually in the fifth grade in Seattle public elementary schools at that time. And so we followed them from about age 10 to age 39. Um, and I should point out that even though this study started in Seattle, that only about 30% of them remain in Seattle. So it's not right to think of it as just a Seattle sample at this point. It's really a sample that's spread out throughout the country and throughout the world for that matter. And it's a very diverse sample. It's less than half white. It has pretty good representation of African-Americans and Asian-Americans. Um, and even uh, a good subsample of Native Americans. Um, and it's about half male and half female. And, that, and then we interviewed about um, almost 700 of these original 800 participants at age 39. So we really had remarkable follow-up. Our participants have been great. Um, there's some of them you kind of have to twist their arm to get them to come back and do the surveys, but a lot of them are excited to see us and happy to do the surveys. And um, so that's really been gratifying. And we also have a remarkable data collection team as part of our research group that, um, that has uh, really done a great job of keeping track of people and convincing them to stick with the study. Which is like, which is like three quarters of the battle, isn't it? Oh, and that's a big part of the battle. Yeah, just, I mean, just keeping track of them, you know, over 30, 30 some years now, it's amazing. Um, uh, from the beginning, this study has had a focus on substance use, including tobacco. So it's really a very unique longitudinal data set with um, extensive measurement of risk and protective factors across environments. And with this diverse set of health outcomes, 
And so from this, we really felt that we could use these data to add to um, important questions that are being asked about e-cigarettes. Marina, let's jump over to you. We're going to come back to the Healthy Outcomes uh, paper in a second, but I'd like to talk about a paper that you had come out just earlier this year in February, which speaks to ENDS use that predicts adolescent use, So, which is what you were talking about before. Let's dive into that a bit more. I know that a lot of advocates in the tobacco harm reduction area um, are suspect of the gateway theory. And over the last seven years, it has been like, you know, one of the biggest, you know, issues that we've had to cover. Yeah, and let me let me talk a little bit about the gateway theory um, in general. It, it is a it, it is a, a concept that originated much, much earlier, decades earlier, and really had to do more with uh, cannabis use. There was this there was this theory posited that that uh, the use of really any drug, but, but cannabis in particular, um, would lead young people straight to hard drugs, straight to heroin and you know and crack cocaine and and yes, we have found that not we've never substantiated that. Um, and so in that way, the gate that part of the gateway theory um, has not panned out, and I think really was a scare tactic used um, at the time to to stigmatize cannabis use. Um, the the way then then there there are other gateways I think um, here. So the gateway between vaping and smoking is a little different because you're talking about the exact same substance and it's a very addictive substance, nicotine. So you're you're it's one one way of using nicotine versus another way of using nicotine. And so I think here the gateway that part of the gateway theory has held up for youth. Um, the study after study has found that youth who initiate vaping, youth who are not smokers who initiate vaping, do go on to try and sometimes sustainably use combustible cigarettes. Um, another kind of gateway is, is from parents to children. Um, and the literature is pretty unequivocal about that, that parent smoking is one of the strongest predictors of child child smoking. Um, and so the, we wanted to test this with regards to e-cigarettes because it is a different product. Um, and parents, especially parents who are smokers who are switching to e-cigarettes may be doing it for health reasons. And so maybe the messaging are, and, and the, the attitudes in the family are, are, are different. Maybe parents who, who vape specifically tell their children, look, I'm, do, I, I'm addicted to cigarettes, but I'm vaping. Um, I, I don't want you to do this. I, you know, this is a very different context. I'm doing this for my health. Um, so this is, this is something we set out to test. Uh, and our colleague, Jen Bailey, is, was the lead on, on that paper. And sh she found that, unfortunately, just like with cigarettes, uh, parents who vape um, have children who vape too. And, um, you know, what happens when, when a parent, parent, you know, either drink, drinks alcohol or specifically with smoking, uh, three things happen. Uh, one is that the child is subject to some some sort of secondhand smoke. Even even though with e-cigarettes, the secondhand vapor is much much lower in nicotine content than cigarettes, it's still there, um, and there's and there may be a, maybe some sort of a smell associated with it if they're using flavored uh, tobacco flavored vapes. So that's one, and we know that secondhand smoke can affect child brain development. 
um, and prime children to to enjoy cigarettes or enjoy cigarette smoke when they if they try it. So the second thing that happens when a parent parent vapes or smokes is that they kind of lead by example and they they normalize the behavior because the child is seeing the, their parent doing it. And so it seems like, well, if my parent's doing it, that must be okay. And then the third thing that happens is it's just increased availability. You know, if there are cigarettes in the house, then they're available to the child. If there are vapes in the house, they're more available to the child. So I think those are the mechanisms we usually think of about, you know, parent-child intergenerational transmission. So is this something that was known prior to this particular piece of research, or is this some really new finding here? As far as we know, this was the first uh, study that tested intergenerational transmission of, of vaping specifically. Yeah, it seems to me that it colloquially it's been known uh, because when we look at you know public health strategy, what I've always seen the stigmatization that kind of was you know coming down from public health about vaping products. It was really designed and focused to kind of ensure a normalization of vaping in the household doesn't happen. Is that fair to say? Um, I don't know that I can speak to that. You know, that's not that's not part of uh, that's not part of our research. So I'm not I'm not really sure um, what it was intended to do. But I mean, we certainly have wanted for you for, for decades to, to get parents to stop smoking so that we make sure that children don't, don't take up smoking. And, and now it seems like, unfortunately, you know, the parent vaping is, is, is a risk factor for children as well. What I think I'm getting here is that we can't afford to normalize vaping just for the sheer fact that, you know, teens might end up vaping more because of it. A parent who's a smoker who switches to vaping hoping that that will stop their child from taking up any nicotine products that does not seem to bear out. Right. Now, thank you for that. That was very precise. Um, I'm sure that would, there will be vapors out there, like adult vapors with kids that would be concerned to hear that. We do know that there are, there are inter, interventions specifically designed for smoking parents that have been shown to reduce that, that intergenerational transmission between parent and child. So the, it is possible to be a smoker, smoking parent, but also to be very clear with your child about, about addiction and about how, how, how terrible uh, combustible cigarettes are for your health and how to set expectations for your children and how to monitor your children to not, to not, not take up smoking. So it is possible um, but it does take some training on, on the parent part. So Rick, let's turn back to you um, because you're, this paper at least deals with adults. Um, what, what can you say in terms of the promotion around this message that there is some health outcomes, there could be some benefits of vaping. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And, and doesn't does it confuse the issue when you're trying to keep vaping out of the hands of kids? I guess there would be a concern about this being misconstrued as as just a blanket endorsement of of vaping but we're just trying to look objectively at our data and reporting positive findings always with the caveat that these pertain only to existing adult smokers and i think the you know to go beyond that um uh, it's just important to be clear that these findings do not apply beyond this population 
Now, you both provided some quotes in the UW's write-up for this healthy outcome paper. Either one of you can, you know, can take a stab at this, or both of you, um, is that you were trying to really mitigate uh, some of the positive messaging, if that's the right way to put it. Or, I mean, you were discussing risks quite a bit um, and trying to make sure that, you know, readers were understanding that this is not an endorsement. Is that correct? I guess I would step back and say this. I think that there's... Um, you know, general agreement that we're all trying to sort this out given the controversy that's in the field. But I bet most people would say that, you know, if you don't use nicotine, young or old, don't start. And we want to work to prevent that. If you smoke, quit. If you can't quit or you don't want to quit, switching to vaping as much as possible is a positive thing to do if you can do that while just decreasing your smoking. I don't know that those statements would be controversial. I think that there's actually, you know, a lot of agreement on those points for the most part. Where does the disagreement lie then? Uh, let me ask you, I mean, you know, is there a divide within public health over vaping, over nicotine vaping products, and why does that divide exist? I think there is a divide, um, and I think it exists largely because of the different populations people are, are, are really passionate, people are studying and they're passionate about. People who st study youth and youth substance use are, are very vocal, I, I'm sure you know, as you, as you know, that um, that the vaping is a danger to to youth because it is it is attractive. Um, <clears throat> the rates are, the rates have been going up up until the last couple of years astronomically. And um, and again, this transition from from vaping to combustible cigarette use um, is a, is a huge concern. When you're talking to people whose main focus is uh, smokers and <clears throat> the terrible risks that that smoking combustible cigarettes brings to your health and the terrible cost that we're all paying as a society, um, then, then the conversation is a little different. We have, we have as, a, as, a, well, as a world, we have not really succeeded in smoking cessation programs. Um, there, there, are, <clears throat> there are not very many that have been found to be terribly effective and many smokers who don't manage to quit you know, sometime during their 30s on their own, um, find it very difficult to quit and end up end up smoking. You know, most of their lives and and paying the price for that. And so, if if that's the if that's the side you're coming from and that's your research, then anything that has the holds the promise of being a more successful quit aid, or at least getting people switching from smoking to vaping, um, you can see then how that would be attractive. The problem, the problem lies in, in this, the promise, and then what's happening on the ground, um, and the promise of of, of e-cigarettes to be quit aids, or at least for all smokers to just run out there and dump their cigarettes and switch to vaping in, entirely, um, is, I mean, it's very attractive. It is, it is, it's a very sexy promise. Unfortunately, in, in our studies, we just don't find that that is what happens. Um, in, you know, in Rick's study, that um, even though we found that people who, who switched were, were um, reporting healthier behaviors, only 8% um, of the entire sample switched completely. 
of, of the smokers, of the, the, the continue to smoke. So only 8% of them um, gave up cigarettes entirely, right? So there's, so, so I think some of the tension lies in this, this promise and then how it plays out. I think this is a good point in which that we bring up the issue of research that may or may not show if vaping is an effective tool to quit smoking. And based on what I'm hearing, do I assume that there is no uh, results to show that? Well, I wouldn't say that, that, yeah, I mean, there's the, of course, these Cochrane reviews, which are, you know, excellent that are showing that in randomized controlled trials that people are successfully quitting with vaping. Um, so that's really important research and important to understand that and document that. But I think that's different than the question of what is um, happening among smokers who um, turn to vaping, thinking that that's going to help them quit. If they go that way without a real clear plan and how to go about that, without really understanding, you know, some kind of protocol in how to make that work, um, I think that the chances of that being effective um, aren't that great. And I think that the, uh, not, not only that, but I think there could also be some risk, and that's, that's what our data show, that there could also be some risk that just adding vape, if you're a smoker and you're just adding vaping and you don't have a clear idea, a definite plan of, that you wanna quit and how to quit, it might actually increase your use of combustible cigarettes. So there is some risk there, and, and it's just care, important to be careful with the distinction between what's happening in these randomized trials where you know, people are joining studies with a, with a clear desire to quit versus other smokers who might, um, who might start vaping for various reasons, but maybe with some vague idea that if they start vaping, they'll reduce their smoking. And there's no, I think, clear evidence that that's gonna happen and some evidence that it might actually backfire. It might actually lead to an increased use of combustible cigarettes. That's what our data suggests. So um, again, it, it's, well, let's, if I can, maybe just talk about this study that this other study that we did looking at quitting. So this was a study that actually examined the same sample as the other study that found these health benefits from smokers who picked up vaping. Um, looking again at participants in their 30s. And the idea behind this paper was that because there's some mixed evidence on vaping and quitting, we thought, well, there must be some key variables that identify for whom e-cigarettes lead to quitting. But what we found in our data is that there were none. And we looked across all kinds of moderators. We looked at, at all the demographics we had measured. We looked at smoking attitudes other health behaviors, health status, and even smoking history. And what we found is that in every single case, smokers who added vaping were less likely to quit, not more likely, less likely to quit. The only exception was for those with a definite desire to quit. If they expressed a definite desire to quit, then they were unaffected by the va vaping. They actually did show just a very slight increase in, um, or, the, or they're actually a, a very, very slightly 
less likely to quit as well, but that was non-significant, even among those who expressed a definite desire to quit. So let me get this straight. Based on the 2021 paper, um, vaping is not an effective tool to quit smoking. But yet, according to the 2022 paper, if you do vape and you happen to smoke and reduce some smoking, you're going to achieve some good health outcomes. So that's it. Right. Yeah. So the idea, so, yeah. the idea should be is to promote the healthy outcome and, and hopefully more people would quit. Yeah. So these, I think these, quitting and the, and the healthy outcomes are two different difference. They're two different avenues and they're, 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 um, <clears throat> they're, they're, they're overlapping, right? You could have you could have some more healthy behaviors and some more healthy opportunities, and then continue to smoke cigarettes, which is what most of our participants are um, are doing in the in the in the most recent twenty two study. Yeah, so I can appreciate. Uh, oh, go ahead, Marina. I just I, I wanted I wanted to make one clarification when we talk about quitting, right? There are two different. T there's quitting nicotine. And there's quitting cigarettes, and I think we need to be precise about how we talk about about it. Um, for example, some of the the randomized control studies on on quitting are, are not focused on participants quitting nicotine. They're focused on participants quitting cigarettes, so that they would go on using nicotine um, at you know say maybe same or whatever levels um, through vaping. So I just I just want to I just want us to be to be to be really clear about what we mean by quitting. Sure. And I would say for yeah. the millions and millions of vapors out there, the issue was quitting uh, the 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 thing that's killing them. And I don't know whether or not it's proven yet that nicotine kills. So for for the vast majority of vapors, quitting is quitting smoking, not quitting nicotine. Quitting combustible yeah, I, cigarettes, yes. Yeah, that, I think Marina makes an important distinction, and absolutely that's the priority is to quit smoking. And really these two papers, I can understand that, um, that there can be some confusion when you talk about both these papers, but they're really just providing different answers to different questions. The first paper is really saying if you continue to use nicotine, switch to vaping as much as possible. And the second paper is saying just be aware that vaping may work against quitting if you don't have a definite plan of how you're gonna go about it. And I, and I wanna just tag on here, I think this might be an important point, um, a really important um, public need for more information on that. And that is for those who on their own want to try using vapes to quit smoking, what is the protocol? Are there any tested protocols for how to do it um, and I think that public health researchers can maybe help in that way. What is the protocol? How can you increase your chances of success if that's what you want to do? Because I think just letting people wing it, that's where it might backfire. Well, yeah, you've got a lot of stories of the accidental quitter, somebody who picked up a vape pen, a jewel or some other product like that. And a couple of weeks later, they found themselves, they quit smoking. <laughs> they didn't even try. That's one of the it's one of the big stories. And I do know that my own personal experience, because I actually smoked for 25 years, I quit with Champex. Um, so with the, you know, the mood medication. Um, but then 
I had a real hard time staying, you know, quit. And it was, it was vaping that kept me stay quit. And the conundrum about whether or not are you still smoking uh, because you're still using nicotine, but you're not burning, burning any product, it's one that sticks with you. Yeah, we hear a lot of stories, personal stories too. And I think, you know, on a, on a personal story level, that's, that's wonderful news for, for, those, for those folks who are able to, you know, like you said, an accidental quitter um, or, or a deliberate quitter. I think that's, that's great. Um, at the population level, we're not seeing those successes, unfortunately. The former smoker, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, this is a vulnerable group that that <clears throat> that could be affected by by vaping in an unfortunate way. And that you know, someone who enjoyed the enjoyed the nicotine in the smoking might say, "Oh, well, now they have these safe cigarettes. You know, those are safer." Um, the vapes, maybe, maybe I'll try one of those and see, and see how it goes and, um, and may find themselves down the road back to smoking cigarettes. It feels to me that it's the same kind of thing. Like, you know, the danger is if you're a former smoker and you at some point maybe pick up a nicotine vape and you try that vape, you could find yourself all of a sudden being a committed smoker again. And, and to me, that spot right there is this is, is a leap. I think we need a lot more research on um, on former smokers and you know their trajectories um, following using e-cigarettes. I think that's that's a really important um, an important piece of research that we're we are still missing hard data on. Um, it's something that I'm actively involved in, and I know other people are too. So stay tuned, I guess, on that one. It's, it sounds like a classic empirical question to me that. You know, we just need good studies looking at good data to try to understand what's happening at the population level. Certainly, and certainly there's a lot of success stories, as you're pointing out, Brent. I don't doubt that for a minute. I've heard of them myself. Yeah, and specifically, and I'm sure you have, specifically to the healthy outcomes research, uh, Rick, is that so often, you know, vapors tell their personal stories about how their health has gotten way better. I mean, that it's, I can't even begin to tell you how many times those stories have come out. And then on the other hand, though, regulators just kind of swat it aside because it's not population evidence, it's anecdotal. So in a way, I wonder, does this paper that you've got out with the healthy outcomes in some manner or another, does it not provide some backup uh, to those anecdotal stories? Yeah, I mean, to the extent that, um, to the extent that, I mean, what this paper is showing is that those who continue to use nicotine, you know, the more you vape versus your smoking, the more you can increase that proportion of vaping versus smoking, you're going to have healthier outcomes, not just physical health, but across a lot of uh, different measures of um, physical health and social engagement and increasing exercise. And all these things actually are uh, interrelated and can interact in ways that, that, you know, where they kind of feed off of each other and promote really much, much healthier outcomes. So yeah, for those who continue to use nicotine, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to think that regulators would want to take that away from people who have, take vapes away from people who are using them successfully. 
I will point out though that in that same study, 92% of of the um, of the folks are still smoking cigarettes, at least some of the time. So only only eight percent of them switched completely to vapes. Now, have you seen that? Is that correlated with any other research? I mean, is that a number that I mean that we should be thinking of? That basically only eight percent of the population potentially have actually fully quit combustible cigarette use and are 100% over to vaping? Or or does more study need to be done on that? We definitely need more research. I mean, that 8% is pertaining to our sample. Um, but dual use is very common. Um, and, you know, a lot of smokers are dual users, which means that they're continuing to use cigarettes which means that they're continuing to do damage to their to their lungs and you know and other parts of their bodies. But the paper we've just, just been discussing says that there is, it doesn't matter you still receive some healthy outcome benefit if you are still dual dual using. So which is the right story that dual use is harmful to your health or dual use doesn't make as much different as long as you reduce the combustible. Well, well, it's a you know I think it's <laughs> It's not an either or here. That's an answer. <laughs> Dual use is both um, has ha, may promote healthier habits in 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 some areas, and of course, more exercise and more social engagement. All of that are, are wonderful things, and we want to promote that. Uh, dual use also means that you're continuing to to smoke cigarettes. So you might receive some health benefits, but in the end, the cancer is still going to get you. You're 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 putting yourself at risk for cancer for sure. Rick, well, this is what we're talking about—a continuum here. So it's not, you know, dual users are a wide spectrum. So it could be, you know, you smoke a cigarette once a month. It could be that you vape once a month, right? So both of those are dual users, um, and. What we found in our paper, again, was that it was the you know relative proportion. The more you vape relative to your smoking, the healthier were your outcomes. So it's you know it's it's not just a a category, it's a continuum hmm. in our research. The continuum of risk. And it is, I would say it is a continuum of risk. Yeah, that the that the higher you're vaping versus smoking. The lower your or the lower your risk of, you know, bad health outcomes, the higher the lower the proportion of vaping versus smoking, the higher your risk of bad health outcomes. Marina, I'm going to turn back to you for a second. Just don't give a, the last of the pushback that I can on the gateway issue, and that is, have we not seen that uh, teen smoking has been going down? Like it's all it's becoming almost non-existent. Um, over the exact same time that there's been this increase in teen vaping. So if teen vaping leads to teen smoking, why are we not seeing an increase in, in teen smoking? I, I've seen the same data, Brent, and um, I, you're right. Teen, teen smoking has continued to go down as vaping is soaring. Um, I think we need to keep watching this to see how it unfolds You know, further. I mean, even though it feels like vapes have been with us forever, they really haven't. They, it's really only been about 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 ten years that they that they've been that they've been on the market, um, and even even less than that that they've really been, been marketed widely and pushed, you know, um, throughout throughout. Well, it seems like everywhere. 
Um, so I think we need to keep watching that. And, and you know, youth cigarette use is such an important issue because, you know, youth who begin early become, becomes, become the addicted smokers that we really worry about. Um, so I, I think it's not, it's not an issue we want to take our eye off of. Um, at the same time, yes, it is encouraging to see that, um, that, that cigarette smoking is continuing to decrease. And, you know, and it's, there is a little bit of a, um, of a mystery here because um, almost every study of non-smoking youth that fi finds that when youth try e-cigarettes, they will, they're at much greater risk to then try cigarettes. Um, compared to youth who didn't. And that's something I found in, in, in one of my studies too. Um, we, we measured young adults. So young adults that, who were not smokers, who had never been smokers up through age 21. So this is a, a, a from a smoking perspective, this is a low risk population. Most, most people who take up smoking before the age of 18. So 21 year olds who have never smoked, you expect them to coast on through the rest of their life without becoming a smoker. Um, those, those young people who tried e-cigarettes were then twice as likely to go on to smoke cigarettes. You mean those, so, those young legal of age adults? Yeah. Right. So now we're not even talking about teens anymore. And a lot of people are frustrated that goalposts keep getting moved because you know, for, for the long time it was about teens. And then now it's about 22 year olds. It's both. I mean, we find the same, the same, the same results. We find, we find the same thing for youth. Um, in fact, the, 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 the risk of switching from vaping to cigarettes is much higher among, among young people than among, again, adults, young adults. So you're, we're both from the Pacific Northwest. We're up here in Vancouver and all of Canada is legal recreational marijuana. And so mm -hmm. you, you have that in Washington state, right? It's not just medicinal, mm -hmm. it's recreational, right? So what's right. the difference between a 22 year old adult of age who decides to become a pot smoker who had never smoked pot and decides to smoke pot as much as he wants from that same 22 year old who decides he wants to use nicotine and, and vape? How come one is okay and should be, you know, should be ad adulated and the other one is, you know, potentially not doing something that's right. I mean, I think we're talking about different things. Um, you well, know, you started, well, you started bringing rights. up, can, you brought cannabis up at the very start with regards to nicotine, with regards to nicotine, you brought up cannabis. So how can, how can cannabis not be used as an example of a recreational drug that adults can choose to use? Because clearly cannabis isn't, you know, benign we don't see the same levels of addiction and we do not see the same rates of cancer risk for those people who use cannabis. So there's can there's cancer risk for just a nicotine user through vaping. They're at the risk of cancer. I think that's something where we, we will have to find out. We don't have, we don't have long enough, um, you know, because, because vapes are relatively new from cancer standpoint, we don't have people who have used um, vapes for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. So we don't have those findings yet. Um, we don't expect the the cancer risks to be to be nearly you know as high as for cigarettes. Not at all. Um, which is not to say that vapes are completely harmless. They do. There's a number of chemicals um, in in vapes that are, that are that are problematic, um, especially when heated and inhaled. 
and let's be clear, like many people still choose to use cannabis through combustion. So yes. that has to have a cancer risk that's well beyond a vape. And the point being here is that should not, should a 22 year old in Washington state, as an example, not be able to decide to vape nicotine if they're able to decide to uh, consume cannabis, that's all. Oh, I mean, absolutely. From a legal perspective, you know, they are absolutely free to free to choose to do whatever they want. Um, you know, it, from a prevention perspective, you know, we want we want to encourage people to make the healthiest choices for themselves possible. Yeah, that, this is that's an important distinction. I think I've somewhere this conversation went from, you know, what what is risky and what should we try to prevent to what should the regulation be and should people not be allowed to make their own choices here? And I don't think Marina and I, or I are saying that adults don't have freedom to choose. Young adults can choose to do, you know, any adult can choose to do either of these behaviors legally, right? I think maybe what we're talking or what you're referring to here, Brent, is just why is there more stigma attached to one than the other? Yeah, no, I don't think stigma is helpful. I don't, you know, I'm I think I'm with you there. I don't think this is helpful to just, um, you know, abandon, say smokers are bad and abandon them. And, you know, people are making their own free choices. But we're just trying to inform from our data, inform people what we think the risks are involved with this. So two, 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 two points, actually, to, the, to, to that. Um, one is that nicotine is, tremendously more addictive than than cannabis so i mean miles and miles more addictive than cannabis so that that's an important distinction and you know i think in general it is probably better to keep people away from addictions something that they're you know they, they feel a compulsion to do um th so that's point number one and, and the second point so in my paper what I, what i found is that your 22 year old who has never smoked cigarette would go on the rest of their life and never smoking a combustible cigarette. If that same 22-year-old starts vaping, they're, they're twice as likely to then also start using combustible cigarettes. That's where the danger lies. It's not, it's not, it's not just a 22-year-old who is gonna stick to vapes for the rest of their life, maybe use them, you know, maybe use them here and there. Uh, I don't think anybody has a huge problem with that from a public health standpoint. The problem is that these products do get used interchangeably. Is tobacco harm reduction a valid public health strategy? Is it something that should be encouraged? Tobacco or nicotine? Tobacco harm reduction. And you mean harm reduction like we're trying to ease it or we're trying to stop it? Well, I just want to make sure we have our terms straight. Sure, sure. Tobacco harm reduction, like all forms of harm reduction, is about mitigating the damage that's caused, not necessarily by the drug itself, but all of the things, other things to go around it. So in the case of a cigarette, what kills is the cigarette. It's the chemicals, it's the paper, it's the tar, it's the ash. The nicotine, not so much. You remove the nicotine from the delivery system and put it into a cleaner delivery system, and then there you have vaping, and that is tobacco harm reduction. Well, I think that that's really what, you know, the paper that we started out talking about speaks to. Uh, yes, I think that's a, 
that that the extent to which smokers of combustible cigarettes can transition to vaping, they're going to have healthier outcomes. That's harm reduction, and I'm would be all for it. Yeah, if you're if you're a smoker and you can't quit or you don't want to quit, try to replace it with vaping as much as possible. I think that's a legitimate message. Marina? Absolutely. You know, not everybody believes that tobacco harm reduction is a valid application of the harm reduction strategy. In fact, it's one of the things that we find is very difficult. It's a part of that divide because there's a lot of people within public health that see harm reduction, whether it's needle exchange, safer sex, you know, could be, you know, harder drugs and issues in terms of providing a clean supply. But yet those very same public health people do not see vaping as a legitimate uh, tool of harm reduction. I think we're, we're kind of back where we started, which is, you know, the problem is that the, the more you promote e-cigarettes, the more availability there is for youth. And so that's the tension that we have to, that we all have to live with, you know, for smokers, absolutely harm reduction through vaping is a, is a really great idea. Um, and, and, and we want to support that as much as possible, especially that we know that uh, a substantial number of smokers can't find a way to quit, quit completely, quit uh, nicotine. So for, for those folks, absolutely. Um, but, it, but we have to balance that out against the risks to teenagers. And should the risks to teenagers be the priority to mitigate that? I think we have to find some sort of a, a way to regulate uh, vapes and, and how we market them and how we sell them and where we sell them in a way that that discourages or prevents teens from, from vaping. And we're not currently doing a very good job of that. But if it's a matter of choosing between adult access to a wide variety of vaping products and no access in order to protect the kids, the public health should you know the position should be to protect the kids well look this is this isn't a unique issue that's that's just about vaping we have the same issue about alcohol adults drink alcohol legally right we have alcohol available in many places we really prefer that young people do not at a young age start drinking alcohol um and so we have all sorts of ways to you know all sorts of laws, all sorts of ways to, to prevent young people from, from, from drinking, um, you know, ID laws and, you know, places where you're allowed to drink and where you're not allowed to drink, you know, and, and so on and so on. So I don't, I don't think it has to be an either or. I think we have to manage this issue on both sides. Yeah, I think we're trying to figure out this balance. And the, the example you just gave, Brent, sounds really extreme to me. Oh, we need to just, you know, ban these products because kids might get a hold of them. The heck with the smokers who are use, using them successfully. That seems like a really extreme um, policy to me. And I, I know there's probably some people who are, that's where they're coming from, but. Campaign for tobacco-free kids, Michael Bloomberg. I mean, there's a list. Well, yeah, so I think there, you know, there's ways to achieve a balance here where the things that Marina's for referring to, where you, can still provide access to adult vape users who are using them successfully or just using them versus trying to protect, protect youth and underage people from getting a hold of them. That's the balance. And that's, I think, what the field is trying to figure out. 
So what's next then uh, in the research that you guys, both of you that are working on separately or together, what do you have in the hopper? One big, big issue, and we've kind of already touched upon it a little bit, is um, the co-use with other substances, the co-use of, of vaping and other substances, particularly cannabis. Uh, this is very popular and becoming increasingly more so. And um, there's a lot of research that, that, that we're still missing on, on how this is done, you know, physically, you know, are, are people, mixing e-liquids in the same vape pen there are people how you know exactly how people you use co-use cannabis and e-cigarettes you know <clears throat> might there be some adverse effects of, of co-use in that um that that promote addiction um, um that impair you know we already know that that um using cannabis impairs driving so so there's there there are there there are ways to, there's still more more things to explore in the co-use area. Um, co-using um, e-cigarettes and uh, alcohol, or maybe even other drugs like opioids, um, is 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 a, is a nascent topic of research that I think is really really important. I think vaping in subpopulations, so such as native peoples, LGBTQ folks, um, and then you know comparing our the the way the vaping has kind of skyrocketed and taken off in this and is and is being regulated in this country comparing that to other countries and the other countries approach i think is a really interesting question so rick what about you what's your research look like for the next 2 years well i'm excited about um having some new data waves coming in for our studies and that you know, just be really important to look at how everything is evolving over time. Because since we have data going back to prior to the availability of e-cigarettes and really looking at trying to understand how changes in technology and changes in knowledge impact the role of e-cigarettes across questions of youth initiation and quitting combustible cigarettes and healthy aging among smokers. And, you know, when you, you go back to the beginning since 2007 to today, there's been tremendous changes in just the technology of e-cigarettes. And you would imagine there's more going to come along. And I think it's, it's important to have strong longitudinal data where you can look at the impact of those changes as we go along. So I'm interested in, in looking longitudinally as we have more data coming in. Would you recommend uh, vaping to somebody in your family that was a smoker? <laughs> I have done that. And uh, there was no success there in my in in the case of my family. I was unfortunate, but uh, but I have done that with, you know, advice and input from other e-cig researchers who kind of helped me understand, as I talked about earlier, can I provide my brother-in-law a protocol for how to go about it? And here's here's what you should do. You know, do this for ten days, and then do this for five days, and and try to really lay that all out. And you know, he's been a lifelong smoker and couldn't pull it off. But um, uh, so that was unfortunate. But um, yeah, I would be. You know, I'm open to the possibility. I'm open-minded about it. I will say that was also prior to this other study that we talked about where um, where we showed that vaping can actually increase combustible cigarette use for many people. So 
I'm probably more cautious today than I was back then.